and welcome to Beauty Island, the podcast that celebrates life and lipstick. I'm your host, beauty journalist Brittany Stewart, and each week I sit down with a very special guest to ask them about their life, career, and the eight desert island beauty products that have a special memory or meaning for them. Today I'm very excited to chat with Michelle Wong, better known as Lab Muffin Beauty Science. She's a beauty blogger and influencer with a difference. She's got a PhD in chemistry, organic medicinal chemistry to be exact. In a world of bold beauty claims and confusing language, Michelle is one of a few looking very closely at the ingredient lists of the beauty products on our shelves, busting beauty myths and breaking down confusing claims on her beauty and skincare science blog. And with almost 60,000 followers on Instagram alone, it's clear people are keen to look beyond just the label when it comes to what they're putting on their skin. We spoke about why she started Lab Muffin, the false beauty claim that really makes her blood boil, diversity in the beauty industry or or lack thereof, chemical versus physical sunscreen, whether her scientific approach to beauty scares brands off, whether natural products really are better, spoiler, not always, how she tests products, her passions outside beauty and science and a whole lot more. I loved talking to Michelle and you will definitely learn a lot from this episode. I know I did. Enjoy. Michelle, I'm so excited to have you on Beauty Island this week. Can you, for anyone who might not have heard of you, of which I'm sure there are not many, but um, can you explain oh. your yeah your full name, your blog name, and what you do? My name is Michelle Wong. I have a PhD in medicinal chemistry, and I am a beauty blogger. Uh, my blog is called Lab Muffin Beauty Science, and I also started making YouTube videos as well. Now, Michelle, what was your first beauty memory? That's a good question. Um, I think my very first beauty memory was with my grandma when I was a kid. I think I was maybe two or three, and there used to be this cream that was like the cream that she would use on my face. And it was very fancy. It was in, well, to me at the time, it was very fancy. Now looking back, it was a plastic container with cartoons on it. Um, (laughs) But to me back then, it was the fanciest cream. It had this, it was white. It was slightly sparkly. Um, And I think, I can't remember what exactly it said on it. I think it was something like snow cream or something. Yeah. I haven't been able to find it again. Oh, no. So you don't know, you never know exactly what it was, but you just have that image in your head of... Yeah, I think it was really popular in Hong Kong at the time, but I haven't been able to find it again. What do you do? What is your day job? What are you doing during the day? Or are you doing Lab Muffin full-time? I actually have a full-time day job as well. Um, I coordinate the chemistry department for a tutoring college in Sydney. Oh, amazing. And where did your, so we've kind of done your beauty memory, where did your passion for science come from? I started getting into science at a pretty young age. So I went to a really nerdy high school. Um, And so we had after school chemistry classes that I went to. I didn't really, I guess I didn't really get into them. Um, I went because my friends went. And then after a while, I realized, yeah, chemistry was really, really interesting. I was also really into creative writing as well at the time. So eventually I went to uni. There was a lot of pressure at my school to go into law or medicine. Like about a third of my school went and did medicine, a third went and did law. And so I started off doing science and law because I thought I like science and I also like writing. So maybe science and law would be a good combination. Quickly found out I hated law. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so I just had the science yeah um 
yeah, so that's how I got into science. So Lab Muffin is kind of like the perfect combination of all those things that you're really passionate about then. Yeah, yeah, it worked out really well. And so you started it, was it about six years ago? Six, seven years ago? Yeah, so I started it in at the end of 2011, so almost seven years, yeah. Wow. And then what what was the catalyst that made you start that? Or what, what was your aim when you first wrote the first blog post or first set it up? What did you want to do with it? So I started blogging when I was doing my PhD, and it, it was like a combination of different things that led me to start it. Um, so at the time, I was um, I was like a PhD student, so I didn't have much income. So when I was trying to buy beauty products, I would research things for ages. But I also had a really bad memory. I still have a terrible memory. <laughs> so I wanted to keep track of all the things I found out and all the things I tried out and what I thought of them. Um, and when I was researching as well, I noticed that there weren't very many easy-to-understand uh, sites about the science behind beauty products, and there were so many myths floating around. So I kind of um, thought maybe I should start a blog and try my hand at explaining some of these concepts as well. Um, and of course, like recording what I thought of things and writing down reviews so that later on when I can't remember things, I can look them up, <laughs> which I still do a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's how I got into blogging. Amazing. And we will talk more about Lab Muffin and, and these myths, these very many myths that are floating around <laughs> the beauty industry. But first, I would love to hear more about your first Desert Island Beauty Island product, which is the product that defined your teens, black eyeliner pencil, which I feel like a lot of people will share with you. Can you tell me a bit about a bit more about that? Um, so, yeah, black eyeliner pencil. Um, so this was probably my first proper beauty product. Um, I started using it when I was in high school. My parents were kind of strict, pretty, pretty not strict for Asian parents, to be honest. But um, they were like, oh, no, you need to concentrate on studying. You shouldn't like play too much with makeup and stuff like that. But yeah, I stumbled across this black eyeliner pencil that my mum had. And back in the day, I was a little bit of an emo kid. <laughs> me too, <laughs> me too. Inspired by, um, I don't know if you remember the, the band Placebo. Yes. They were like, yeah, they were so big in the 90s. <clears throat> um, so their front man had the most amazing, beautiful eyeliner. And so I just decided to just, I wanted to be him. <laughs> so I just used this black eyeliner all the time. And I've pretty much been wearing the same eyeliner style since 2001. Um, yeah, I recently actually got my eyeliner tattooed on. Oh, yeah, so I was a little bit scared of doing it because I was like, what if I don't like it? What if I want to switch it up? And then I realized, yeah, I've been wearing the same eyeliner for almost 20 years. I I should just stick with it. <laughs> yeah, it's endured that long. You know what you're in for. Yeah, exactly. And how long ago did you get your liner tattooed on then? So it's been a while or? I think it's been about a year now. And no regrets? Still? No regrets, yeah. Brilliant. I still put extra black eyeliner on um, because I kind of like smudging it out a bit. But, yeah, no regrets. When you started Lab Muffin, there really weren't many, if any, people kind of explaining about, you know, those however many 15-letter ingredients that you see on the back of yeah. back of beauty products. Um, and I think almost seven years on, there have always been people who are very interested in that. But I think even in the mainstream, even in the last year, two years, there's been such people feel such a greater need to understand more about what they're putting on their face. And I wondered yeah. that or, or anything else, what do you think the biggest change you've seen in not just the beauty industry, 
But in terms of people writing, people who write about the beauty industry like yourself, I mean, we've got more people than ever creating videos about beauty, writing about beauty. There's so much more diversity and we're seeing, yeah, a lot more interest in kind of the cruelty-free and vegan and, and not necessarily the clean beauty products, but about what is actually in what we're putting on our face. So what, what do you think has been the biggest change in your opinion, good or bad? I think a lot of people are getting more discerning about what they're using, which I think is a really good thing. I think it might be partly because of the rise of social media. So I think the fact that like magazines aren't the main source of people's beauty information anymore, they're not quite sure who to trust and where to look. And I think that might be why they maybe they've become a bit more discerning and maybe people, they have to practice I guess working out who to trust a bit more yeah Um, and I think that's where it comes from I think everyone is like a lot more critical about what brands are telling them these days which I think is a really good thing and I think it's probably been a long time coming I agree yeah holding brands accountable rather than just kind of blindly accepting that this is the magical oil that will do this thing and really questioning is so important and it just makes us more savvy and also the products better I imagine. Yeah, definitely. And I think also there's been the rise, there's been a few other factors as well, actually, that have come to mind. Um, the Ordinary, um, so yeah. that was a Decium brand where it's, they have very, um, they brand themselves as a very technical brand, but they're very accessible in terms of price. And I think their rise has also made people a lot more curious about ingredients and a lot more open to learning about the ingredients. Yeah. Um, Because it's like there's this $8 serum that everyone is raving about. I need to know how to use it. And I think I was reading this really interesting article, actually, which was like, um, because of Trump, everyone cares more about skincare now. What? Um, How does that happen? It was an interesting opinion piece, which was like, because of Trump, um, everyone feels like they're powerless and so they're turning towards self-care, which I thought was an interesting perspective. There is a bit of truth to it because I think, I think the rise of Trump and all the like Russian collusion stuff, I think people are a lot less trusting of things now. And so, yeah, I guess it's like um, what people call the post-truth world. It's a little bit scary and you have to kind of trust your own instincts about what is true and what isn't true at the moment. I think that's one of my favorite things about beauty as well in terms of it just affects every single area of my life like the link between politics and suddenly the rise in self-care and skincare it's just so yeah I just love love how people think it it's a very separate superficial aesthetic thing but it's really not it's so linked with our social and cultural and economic and political times I think it's really interesting on to your second product which is the product that gives you your signature look which is Olaplex so tell me a bit more about that so Olaplex is this really interesting product um, that was launched in 2015, I think. Um, it's a bond builder, I think they call it. Basically, when you bleach hair, what happens is a whole bunch of bonds within your hair break. And that's why bleached hair gets so damaged, because these bonds can't reform easily. And with Olaplex, um, if it's added to bleach, then it helps reform those bonds and so your hair is a lot less damaged and before 2015 I think it was around 2014 2015 when pastel hair became like a really popular thing yeah but because I'm Asian and I have really thick coarse black hair pastel hair was like not achievable for me I had a friend who who was Asian and her hair was a bit finer 
and she had a bleach to white and then she colored it pink but when I asked her she was like I cannot heat treat my hair I've been told if I ever use a straightener on it it will all break off oh gosh yeah so all these like mermaid unicorn hair dreams of mine in 2014 were completely impossible yeah. and then Olaplex came onto the market and suddenly you could get Asian hair to these like white white shades and you could make a pastel and your hair would still be healthy and you could still curl it and so three years later I decided to actually bite the bullet and dye my hair, um, get it bleached and dye it purple. And so that's now my signature look, I guess. Love it. And you you recently made a video about the process, haven't you? Mm. Yes, I did. Yeah. Now you've achieved your unicorn pastel purple dreams. Are you loving it? I am still loving it. Yeah. It's so much fun. So yeah, having black hair, like black Asian hair that doesn't curl, it doesn't hold a curl. Um, all you can do is straighten it or put it up in a ponytail. It's just my life is completely different now. Like I'm obsessed with hair products. I've been trying to work out how to make my hair better. It's kind of like opened up a whole new world of, I guess, like beauty science discovery for me. I think it's quite terrible, but I think it's also just human nature. Unless it's relevant to me, I find it a lot harder to like research it, a lot harder to understand it. I have a lot less motivation to actually go out and do the research. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think that's why I've been so into skincare as well, because my skin is naturally not that great. And now my hair isn't that great because it's like bleached to death, <laughs> despite the Olaplex. Now, one of the misconceptions that you've talked about quite a lot and that comes up quite often is this misconception that natural ingredients are automatically safer or gentler or whatever than chemical ingredients mm. what are your thoughts on that although I, I can imagine what your thoughts are but, <laughs> but is that a um, misconception that frustrates you it is yeah so my background is medicinal chemistry and a lot of the time in medicine what happens is someone goes out into nature they find like a tree extract or some sort of plant extract from the amazon rainforest and then they test it on cells and then it can kill cancer and so what happens after that is the scientists separate this plant extract and try to work out what chemicals are in it. They find the chemical that's responsible for the cancer-killing action, and then they play around with the chemicals. So they'll like make synthetic mod modifications to it. They'll stick on extra things. They'll take off things, and, and they tweak it until it's useful as a drug. Yeah. So useful as like an anti-cancer drug. And so my sort of background from this area is nature has really cool things, but in general what tends to happen is we can make it better. We can make it less toxic. We can make it more effective, um, things like that. And so I guess coming into beauty from that perspective, it's just really bizarre that everyone assumes that the natural version is going to be better. And I think it is, it's a kind of fundamental thing in human nature to think that natural things are safe and better because nature's been around for so long. I guess everything kind of has a history of safe use, but it doesn't really have a history of safe use. So, like, people used to die from eating berries. Even now, if you go into nature, like, I have severe hay fever. <laughs> so every time I go into nature, it's like nature wants to kill me. Nature <laughs> wants me to choke on my own mucus. But I think, like, even now, when I look at a natural product, I do kind of, like, feel a little – I do feel more emotionally attached to it. And, yeah, it's just, like, one of those cognitive biases that we have, as humans will always have, even if it's not true. So I completely understand the, the draw towards natural things. But yeah, I think there is a bit of a disturbing trend in health, especially 
where people will stop using more synthetic treatments in favor of natural treatments. And the thing is, like, the synthetic treatment, it's so much more proven, it's more effective, but people, especially people who are in, like, very dangerous situations where they have severe cancer, they do tend to, like, go towards these cognitive biases, and it's it's very sad, actually. It's sad and worrying, yeah, and I think it carries through into beauty as well. Absolutely. I mean, my partner actually works as a, as a pharmacist at a cancer hospital and he sees oh. it all the time in terms of people taking what they think is kind of natural, these natural medicines and not realising that they can be stronger, they can interfere, they can have really like significant side effects, but it's just because yeah. it's, it's natural, therefore it must be. So yeah, I think it's something that pervades, yeah, particularly medicine, but beauty as well in, in terms of touching more more people what is the biggest false claim brands make that really makes your blood boil like you see on like packaging or advert and just gets you angry oh there are so many but i think <laughs> i think the biggest one again it's probably because of my medicinal chemistry background is that i think 60 percent of what you put on your skin gets absorbed into your bloodstream and it's like if that was true life would be so like making medicines would be so much easier why would you need to have needles when you could just slap it on your skin? Why would you need to, like, design all these, like, special tablet coatings which, like, dissolve in certain parts of your digestive system if you could just, again, slap it on your skin? Yeah. Why, when I'm sitting on a cushion, why does the cushion not disappear after a few hours <laughs> in my bloodstream? Um, yeah, so I think that's probably the most annoying one because, like, if you think about it, it's just so obviously not true, but it gets repeated so much. Yeah. I hadn't really thought about it that much, but that cushion analogy is probably the best <laughs> of dispelling that one. Talking about chemical exfoliation, which you have written a very handy ebook on, which people can download from your website. And and as you kind of said, and I, I probably discovered chem- discovered for me personally chemical exfoliation a couple of years ago. And like you say, it's an amazing. It's one of those things. I'm quite impatient when it comes to beauty products, but I feel like chemical exfoliation is one of those things where you use it a couple of times and you can really see. The difference in your skin it's something that genuinely works quite quickly yeah. but you say the words chemical exfoliation to people who haven't done it before and it can sound quite intimidating so I wonder what, oh, your, yeah, what your kind of top tips were for kind of starting it for the first time because the results really are worth it I think the first thing is don't go too hard yeah I think a lot of people before they go into chemical exfoliation me included you just think, my skin can handle anything. Like Everything I've put on it, it's been fine. I'll be fine with a 25% glycolic acid twice a day. <laughs> and, of course, your skin is not fine with that. Your skin needs to build up to it gradually. So I think that's probably the first thing. So, yeah, I used to be a moderator on a subreddit called Skincare Addiction, which have, it heavily promotes chemical exfoliation because it is amazing. And the number of posts we get which say, help, I've over-exfoliated my skin, is ridiculous. Um, I feel like it's almost like a rite of passage into skincare <laughs> addiction. You have to kind of burn your face off once before you're a real skincare addict. Yeah. Um, but the annoying thing is, of course, if you burn your skin off, it takes months for your skin to um, get back to a state where you can start again. Um, and when you start again, of course, like half the time you're also still a bit blasé about it and you're like oh I'll just use the same product that I tried last time I'll just be a little bit more gentle again yeah so I think that's probably the biggest thing start slow use it on your skin maybe once every three days or so like once a week twice a week yeah um and build up slowly and don't be impatient which is easy to say really hard to do and that kind of leads us quite nicely onto your next product which is the I think the first skincare product that you 
you researched and bought, which was Paula's Choice 2% BHA liquid. Is that right? Mm, Yeah. What's the story behind that one? So I researched and bought this when I was doing my PhD and starting my blog. I purchased a bottle of this after I went through Paula Begon's Beautypedia. So Paula Begon is the maker of Paula's Choice. She is like the one of the biggest influences on skincare, I think, or well, science-based skincare. I don't really agree with everything she says. I think a lot of the things that she writes in Beautypedia aren't entirely backed up by the science, but they've had such a massive impact on the beauty industry, especially in the area of chemical exfoliants. Um, so I think they were really instrumental in making it popular and educating people about what they're looking for. Yeah, so I was, ins- I was actually inspired a lot by them when I was writing my blog. And yeah, so the 2% BHA liquid, it was the first chemical exfoliant product I properly bought and used. I'm pretty sure I still have the original bottle in my stash somewhere because <laughs> it lasted me. It's lasted me forever. I think I'm more like, I think it's there. I'm a little bit scared to even use it because I think it is about seven years old now. Yeah. But yeah, so it's a really nice chemical exfoliant. It's good for oily skin. It's really good for getting rid of little blackheads on your nose. And you recently met Paula, didn't you? I did. Yeah. How was that? I was so nervous. I'm pretty sure I was shaking when I met her. But yeah, she's amazing. She's an amazing speaker. She's obviously such a massive influence. She's a really inspiring speaker as well. And she was wearing these adorable Diamante heels. Love it. Love a woman who loves good shoes. Yeah. As I am cruelly sending you off to um, a desert island, beauty island in the middle of nowhere, you're probably going to need some sunscreen. Now, I feel like there's a lot of chatter between chemical and physical sunscreen Mm. for someone who has absolutely no idea about the difference or that even there was types of sunscreens what what what's what's kind of important to know about which one you go for which one and is there one that's necessarily better it depends on your skin i think so chemical sunscreens obviously sound scarier um (laughs) they are a tiny bit scary in that they can cause um, allergic reactions, not all of them. Um, the newer ones almost don't cause any allergic reactions or they don't cause any irritation unless you have incredibly sensitive skin. So that's probably the biggest difference. If your skin is very sensitive, then you might be better off with a physical sunscreen. So the physical sunscreens are zinc oxide, which is much more popular, and titanium dioxide, which is a bit less popular. I think it's getting less popular now as well. The other big differences, apart from sensitivity, is physical sunscreens tend to leave a white cast. So it tends to give your skin this sort of like whitish, ghosty sort of look if your skin's a bit on the darker side. And your skin doesn't have to be that dark. My skin is dark enough for that to happen. The other big difference between the two types of sunscreen is that there are some newer chemical sunscreens that are really, really good at protecting your skin from UVA. UVA is the longer wavelength of UV, they tend to be responsible more for aging and more for pigmentation as well. And so if your skin's pretty pigmentation prone, like mine, then having a high UVA protection factor is really important. So that's probably the main difference. SPF is really interesting because I am very fair, burn very, very easily. So I've always been kind of slathering on the minimum SPF 30, usually SPF 50. Mm. But I think it's quite interesting in that we will see the higher number and automatically assume that that's better, or which, which obviously the higher it is better. But one of the things I found really interesting when I learned it a couple of years ago was that it's 
and, and you have written about it as well, about the volume of the product that you actually need to reach that full protection protective factor which i think a lot of people just don't don't realize that you see oh my foundation has you know spf 15 that's enough for today when it's really really not yeah um and i think that's even even though the government tries really hard to push um how much sunscreen you need like all the stuff with um you need a shot glass for a certain amount of your body and stuff like that I think, though, depending on how much you use, that will affect how much protection you get. For most faces, I think the safe amount is a quarter teaspoon, which is a surprisingly large amount um, for your face. Yeah. There are some studies which found that if you use a higher SPF and you use less, then it will sort of compensate for the fact you're using less as well. So, yeah, going for a higher SPF is always better. Because I think I... I think it might have been an Instagram post you wrote but there was something about how if you needed the full factor you'd have to use like a third a quarter of the bottle or something ridiculous and you think about how long sunscreen bottles we keep for like almost a few summers yeah 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 I think there's like a Woolworth sunscreen which says how many applications you can use which I thought was really good yeah Um, I think it was like a tube of sunscreen and it says this is enough for three full body adult applications which I thought was pretty interesting yeah, and that's enough to make you realise. Yeah. And like a proper number on a bottle. Another great blog post of yours that I've read recently, and I've seen it a lot from the beauty Instagram accounts that I follow on Instagram, is this trend of people buying skincare fridges. Um, and you kind of looked at whether, I think it was maybe you did a video on it as well. You definitely did mm. a YouTube video on it. We always hear those things, whereas, you know, you can put your eye cream in the fridge and they'll get you'll get that extra cooling effect. And I think it's nail varnish or something is also meant to be kept yeah. it in the fridge i mean is that something more people should be doing should we be opening the fridge and you know putting some of our creams next to the milk i personally don't <laughs> i'm a very lazy sort of beauty person like 10 step routines going to the fridge to get my eye cream like it's a bit too much for me but i think there are a lot of people who do like to take a lot of time with their skincare like they sort of see it as a meditative ritual and i think for them then yeah it's a great idea if you have it in the fridge, it lasts for longer as well. So it's like a nice money-saving tool, I guess. I think a lot of people just really like gadgets and stuff like that. And so like your little skincare fridge is your indulgence. It's your little like corner of relaxation in your life. Uh, so I think it's really nice. But yeah, personally, not for me. Yeah, we've talked about, we've, we've kind of mentioned some active ingredients like with the chemical exponents. And I think one thing that I certainly struggle getting my head around with is the whole mixing ingredients so if you are not delving really deep into all the main ingredients in your beauty products and you know you are using three or four or five or six products in your in your routine I think it can be quite easy to like a lot of people might actually be using you know three products with exfoliating ingredients without realizing and then wondering why you know their skin is peeling off kind of thing I mean even with your with your own, obviously, you have a lot more, a lot, lot more knowledge. How does one go about creating like a cohesive skincare regime without messing up your skin? Is it just about you, you just kind of got to do the research and what you're putting on? Um, I think, personally speaking, there are like two kind of rules that I think you should follow for making a skincare routine. So firstly, you should be adding one product in at a time. Um, so if you put in one product every two weeks and you monitor how that affects your skin, 
I think it's a really good idea. Um, I personally break this rule all the time and I feel extremely guilty about it. Um, But that is like the best way of making sure you don't suddenly mess up your skin. It's so hard though. Like if you buy five new products, you just want to try them all. Yeah. Um, But the safest thing is one at a time. The other thing is just really monitoring. So usually patch testing is a good idea. Basically, if you do have a new skincare product and your skin is somewhat sensitive, then it's a good idea to not slap it all over your face the first time you try it. So maybe just start with a bit on like your chin or a bit on your forehead. See how that goes first. That way, if you do have a reaction, at least you don't have to use your entire bottle of concealer to cover (laughs) it up. Yeah. Yeah, so I think if you follow those two rules, then it's hard to go wrong. But of course, it's really hard to follow these rules. Yeah. And I mean, I was going to say, I mean, that thrill that you get when you get a new product, I mean, is part of the reason why we all love beauty. But I wonder when you're obviously trying a lot of products, you're getting sent, you're buying products. Are you quite scientific with your strategy in in testing or do you also get kind of carried away as well like the rest of us? Um, I sometimes do get carried away, but when I do, I usually like don't feel like I'm prepared to write a review on it. Yeah. So when I do want to review a product, firstly, I let my skin reset. So my skin has to be pretty calm and I've been using my normal products for a about a week or so before I started testing a new product. Uh, when I do test a new product, I try to test one product at a time or at least one product in one area or one product type. Yeah. So, for example, if I'm testing um, a sunscreen, I can test like a cleanser at the same time, but I'm not going to test a sunscreen and a foundation at the same time. I also try to do a split face test. So, a lot of the time I'll test, um, say, a vitamin C serum only on one half of my face. And so I can use the other half as comparison. Of course, the problem with testing skincare um, versus like scientific methodology is that you are a sample size of one. So when I write up my reviews, I try to be as fair as I can. So I try to say things like maybe it'll work for you if your skin is like this, but it didn't work for me. I think a lot of beauty bloggers try to be fair in that way as well. It's hard. Yeah, because you don't want to, for want of a better words you know you don't want to trash talk a product just because it didn't work for you because again skincare is quite um subjective because we all have different skin types we all have different things so yeah I think that's a really interesting interesting point and you obviously would get sent a fair few products do you think being obviously you you are very honest and scientific about your your reviews and what you say do you think some brands probably a bit scared to send you anything in case you you kind of call them out on their BS claims or are the brands Um, that do send you things very aware of of what you do and have kind of done their research about you? It's sort of like, I guess, like double-edged sword. (laughs) On the one hand, I think I do get like, I don't get sent a lot of products because yeah, I think a lot of brands are aware that they're not entirely sure if their products are kind of up to like a scientific standard, I guess. But on the other hand, I found that brands who do want to work with me are like, they fit in really well with what I do, which is fantastic because then I don't have to wade through, like, piles of stuff. Yeah, so generally the brands that do approach me, they have a really scientific approach and they're confident enough in their products that they're willing to let it undergo that sort of, I guess, scrutiny. Yeah. And, yeah, the ones who do approach me are usually the ones that I end up really liking. But, of course, like, every once in a while I'll get a message that will be like, hey, want to try our chemical-free ingredients? And I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> Yeah, so I do turn down a lot of product offers because, like, I, I just can't use them. 
Yeah. And I mean, one brand that's there's a lot of chatter about at the moment that you um that you've recently, I think you're in the process of doing a few reviews, but you've you've had a, a bumper one that's up now, which of course is Drunk Elephant. Um, mm. And I think I would highly recommend anyone goes and reads your review because I think if you read just one piece that shows, you know, the length and the detail that you go into, <laughs> it's it's that review. Do you... I tried so hard to cut that down. Um, <laughs> oh, really? 2,000 words and it did not work. I tried, I was like going through every sentence and cutting out individual words and it still ended up somehow being four and a half thousand words. It's very comprehensive. I very much appreciated it. And I wonder when, when there are really hyped up brands like that, how often do you find that they actually live up to the hype? And it is Drunk Elephant one of them in your opinion? Um, I find that it's like maybe 50-50. Yeah. So I'm pretty open to the fact that like product effectiveness is not the only thing people look for in products. And it's not the only thing I look for in products. Um, again, I'm pretty lazy. So if a product is in good packaging, if it's pleasant to use and stuff like that, that's really important to me. And it's not just product effectiveness. I know a lot of people do only focus on product effectiveness and they expect me to as well. But I think just practically speaking, skincare should be enjoyable. It shouldn't be a chore. It shouldn't like make you feel uncomfortable. Um, so that sort of thing is really important to me. Um, in terms of drunk elephant, I think they are really expensive compared to a lot of other brands. Yeah. Um, so I think that's the main problem that a lot of people have with it. Um, just in terms of ingredients, you can get similar products in terms of ingredients for much better value. But in terms of um, the aesthetics, like the packaging, the formula, um, textures, things like that, I think that's probably where a lot of the hype comes in. Yeah, and I love that you, like you said, you take all those things into consideration because I think it's a lot more realistic about, you know, the not necessarily even the average consumer, but even the beauty lovers, that it's it's about that whole experience, not just not yeah. just always the results. Speaking of very good products, you actually have two products that you would trust your life with on your Beauty yeah. Island product list. So we've got the MAC Cosmetics Studio Tech Foundation and mm-hmm. the... 0.05% tretinoin cream. Did I say that right? Yeah. Yeah. Tretinoin, yeah. Tretinoin cream. Now, what is it that is so brilliant about these two products and why do you love them so much? Okay. Um, so firstly, with the MAC Cosmetics Foundation, I actually don't use it anymore, but I do have a kind of literal life-saving sort of story. Oh, wow. <laughs> so when I was doing my PhD, I used to wear it almost every day. Um, and I think it did end up breaking me out, which is why I've stopped using it now. But there was one day in the lab when I had to do a presentation. So I wore like really thick um, foundation because I was pretty self-conscious about my skin at that time. And I was doing an experiment using something called triplic acid. And triplic acid is kind of famous amongst chemists because it's what's called a super acid, which is what it sounds like. Yep. <laughs> um, when you open a bottle of it, it starts fuming. It will pretty much just burn the crap out of anything you put it on, which is why I was using it. And so I had an experiment stirring overnight with triplic acid in it. And like, like you'd expect if you're stirring something overnight, small amounts of it splash up into the lid. And so I opened the lid and some of the residues splashed onto my face. Oh, God. Yeah. So I was like, great, my life is over. (laughs) (laughs) But luckily, the makeup was actually thick enough that I managed to wipe off the acid and neutralize it before it actually hit my skin. So I came away completely unscathed, not even like the slightest red mark, thanks to Studio Check. That is incredible. (laughs) Yeah, so if 
anyone is handling dangerous chemicals, I highly recommend using Pancake Foundation. <laughs> and, um, and what about the cream? For the Tretinol cream, um, it's actually my very first prescription skincare product. Okay. Yeah, so tretinoin is a type of vitamin A. It has the brand name Retin-A, and it's pretty much the ingredient right after sunscreen that has the most impressive skincare effects in terms of the scientific evidence. So there's a similar ingredient, which is retinol, which is in a lot of over-the-counter products. And so I started using that, but my skin got really, really flaky and irritated. And so after a while, I stopped using it. And then I thought, maybe I should just go for the prescription stuff. And in Australia, it's actually cheaper to go with the prescription stuff. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so I just went to my GP and asked for it. And he just pretty much prescribed it straight away because it's just, in skincare, it's pretty much universally acknowledged as, like, great for most things. So it's anti-aging, it's anti-acne, it's good for rosacea as well, I think. Yeah, ticks a lot of boxes. Um, Yeah, so I started using that, I think, maybe almost a year ago and my skin's just fantastic now in terms of texture in terms of pores which I've always had trouble with yeah so highly recommend it obviously because you know a lot more about the ingredients you can kind of and with scientific research in general discovering new things do you think we are actually seeing a lot of innovation in the beauty space um I think it's kind of 50-50. So I think there is a lot of innovation, but at the same time, there's also a lot of really unexciting things that a lot of um, like ingredient sellers and a lot of brands try to pass off as really innovative. Yeah. So I think, yeah, it's a bit of both. It's quite, it's quite exciting, but yeah, a lot of innovation is a lot of cracked up to be. Is there anything in particular that you are excited to see how it develops, whether that's a particular ingredient or a type of product or anything like that? That's a good question. <laughs> um, <laughs> to put you on the spot. There's a lot of interesting stuff that's happening with sunscreen at the moment, I think. Yeah. So there's a sunscreen called Solar D, which allows a particular um, range of UVB wavelengths into your skin. And that's the wavelengths that I think help your skin synthesize vitamin D the best. And so I thought that was a really interesting approach that blocks most UV except for um, but it lets in enough that you can still make vitamin D, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. There's also like once a day application sunscreens. At the moment, they're illegal in Australia. Like you can't say that you don't need to reapply sunscreen. But there is new technology where the film that the sunscreen forms is like a lot more durable and it sinks into your skin a bit more as well. Um, so I think that's quite interesting because people are really bad at reapplying sunscreen. So if that works, then that would be amazing. Yeah, that's so interesting. And then just kind of the positive health implications that come from that as well. Like it's a, it's a, it's a practical one as well, which is really exciting. Now your next product is the beauty product that blew your mind, which is an essence. So what, what was the essence and, and why did it blow your mind? Oh, so this is actually um, a sunscreen. Oh, okay. Um, I'm not entirely really sure why it's called an essence, actually. I've never really uh, thought about that. Um, so it's the Biore Aqua Rich Watery Essence. I always get the name wrong, so that may not be entirely correct. <laughs> Something um, on those lines, yeah. We'll, we'll but it that. was the first sunscreen that I wore that was light enough that I felt like I could wear it daily without um, without feeling really clogged up. So I've known for so long that I needed to wear sunscreen daily, but I actually didn't wear sunscreen daily until maybe four or five years ago. 
Yeah. Um, which I know is really bad because I'm pretty sure I was telling people they needed to wear nail sunscreen <laughs> before I was personally doing it. Taking your own <laughs> advice, yeah. Yeah, so I tried so many sunscreen on my skin. A lot of them clogged my pores. A lot of them peeled up on my skin as well. So it would just start rolling off um, after I put it on. But this was probably the first lightweight sunscreen that I managed to wear every day. So it's, an, it's sold in Asian countries. I think it's Japanese. And, yeah, there's a lot of Asian sunscreens that are just really nice for daily use. And so that was, like, the first time I managed to wear sunscreen daily. And since then, I have been wearing sunscreen daily. I've been very good. And is it available in Australia yet? Unfortunately, no. Every time I go to some sort of Bioray event, I bug them about this. (laughs) The latest news is, no, they are still not planning to bring it to Australia. I think it's because Australia has stricter sunscreen standards and they're slightly different from everywhere else. And so if you want to bring a new sunscreen onto the market, you have to undergo a whole bunch of expensive testing. Yeah. But I know lots of people who import it. (laughs) So they buy it on eBay. side business, yeah. Another, it's been a few products that you've mentioned, obviously, with the Olaplex with your hair um, and a couple of sunscreens catering to slightly darker skin tones. And obviously, we've seen diversity in, in color range, in foundations and, and, and makeup very recently, very overdue, very recently. Um, yeah. But there's those other things that different hair types and, 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 and different skin needs as well. Do you think... I mean, Australia in particular is getting better at catering for more diverse skin tones and, and hair types and things like that, or do we still have a long way to go? Still a long way to go. But I'll, I'll, are you? Do you think we're making progress? I think we're definitely making progress. So I remember when I first started blogging. Every time a brand sent me foundation, it was always too pink. So my skin is really yellow, um, and yeah. So for the longest time, it was just terrible. But yeah, within the last three years or so. I have actually been getting really good foundation matches, even with, like, Priceline product, which is just something that I didn't think would ever happen. Um, I think on the darker end of the scale, it's still not very diverse. So I have a friend who has really dark skin, and she has to use Clinique because, yeah, she just can't find foundations in, I guess, what Americans call drugstores. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so I think it's improving. It definitely could still go further, though. I mean, that's like even I was in the in the UK, uh, back in the UK earlier this year, and you go into Superdrug or, or Boots, which is kind of like, you know, their, their price line equivalent. And there's just, it's just a given that there are just such a greater range of, of shades. And it's just ridiculous. Australia is such a multicultural country. We've got so many, so many different communities and people from different places. And the fact that it's not, that some, not everyone can't go into Priceline or wherever and find something as basic as a foundation that matches the skin tone is is mm. ridiculous. Yeah, and I think like it's not like these products didn't exist in other um, brands before, like Rihanna and Fenty Beauty came along. But I think um, even though they existed, there just wasn't that pressure on other brands to bring out all these colors until that happened. Yeah, it's kind of catch up rather than forging ahead for everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. Now we've spoken a lot about about beauty and and your work. I wonder, is there someone in your life that has particularly shaped you, either professionally or personally? Like, who do you look up to? I think Paula Begon is definitely one of the big influences on how I go about like going through beauty and uh, my blog. Yeah, so just having that sort of the fact that she does, she had such a focus on um, evidence based skincare recommendations, and the fact that like. She was popular enough that there was a market for it as well. So that's probably one of the biggest 
Aachen influences. Other influences, my mum is a big one. My mum is the sort of person who will fall for any sort of marketing trick. Um, she's the sort of mum who forwards emails about how, I don't know, just really ridiculous things, like everything will give you cancer, everything will, um, everything is fake, like check out all these products. Yeah. And I think that's probably one of the biggest things because like, I just spend so much time explaining to her how, like, what, what is and isn't true. And I think it kind of just shows how much false advertising there is and how many myths are going around as well. And so I think, like, just that sort of frustration with um, these myths going around, which she constantly reminds me of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so those are probably the biggest influences. Amazing. And speaking of your mum, on... Um... One product you do have on your list is a product that she recommended to you. Yeah. Um, and that is yeah. the Aiken Rosehip Oil. So but given what you just described, it's quite interesting that she's the one, this is one that has come through her that you love or that you use. Yeah. So, yeah, my mom's also a shopaholic. So she buys tons of products and she passes on a lot of them to me. And this one was one of the ones that really stuck. So... Yeah, this one, um, my cousin actually recommended it to her and then she passed it on to me. And Rosehip Oil, I've been using, I think, yeah, ever since I, before I started blogging. Um, and it's still my favorite oil. It's really, really nice for acne-prone skin. It's really good for sensitive skin as well. So it um, helps restore your skin barrier. I do love Rosehip Oil. It's so Australian as well, Rosehip Oil. Is it? Um, we just have it in so many stores here. Your final product on your list is a perfume that defined your 20s, mm. which is um, the YSL Baby Doll. What memories does it bring back or what does it represent to you? So YSL Baby Doll, um, when I was in undergrad uni, when I was doing science and law, I started working as a paralegal in a law firm and I was really... I really didn't enjoy it. Um, yeah. I really liked studying law, but I hated working in a law firm because what would happen is I, I would go through all these documents for hours and hours and just categorize stuff. And then at the end of it, they'd be like, oh, yeah, they decided to settle. We're just going to shuffle this out. Um, and it was just so depressing. Yeah. So every lunchtime, I'd just go out and try perfumes to try to um, cheer myself up. And... Like, I would try on so many perfumes. I'm sure everyone in the office hated me because I would come back, like, stinking of perfume. <laughs> I feel so bad about that. I'm, I sincerely apologize to anyone who was working with me at the time. <laughs> um, but YSL Baby Doll was the first one I bought. And so I guess that was the start of um, beauty products and skincare products and using that as, like, like, a, like a source of happiness in the sadness of my legal career, which ended very shortly after that. Yeah. And do, do you have a signature perfume that you wear now? Um, I have a bunch of perfumes. Yeah, um, I'm the same. I am a perfume tragic. Um, I know a lot of skincare people are really anti-fragrance in their skincare. Um, I don't love a lot of fragrance in my skincare, but I am obsessed with perfumes. Um, at the moment, my favorite one that I've been wearing a lot is, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, um, Thierry Mugler. Yep. <laughs> um, Alien at the moment. Yes, I can. I feel like I've definitely seen the ads. It's kind of a, a bit of a classic, isn't it? Yeah, so it's this really gorgeous purple bottle that looks a bit like a giant gem. Um, and it's like this jasmine scent that's just gorgeous. Oh, lovely. Yeah, I'm, I'm exactly the same. I have a signature scent for every mood that I feel. Well, you know. <laughs> um, Do you have the perfume for going to sleep yet? 
No, I don't. Do you? Um, I do now. I have a friend who is obsessed with perfume. She is, um, she's a beauty editor in Dubai. And she introduced me to the idea of having like a bedtime perfume. Um, so I have one now. It's Sarah Jessica Parker Stash. It does make me feel really extra having a perfume that I wear to bed. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just nice and relaxing having this sort of almost like aromatherapy at night. So is it just about having a smell that you then associate with sleep or do you pick the perfume for some kind of sense that like I don't know not necessarily lavender but you know that kind of that kind of thing or it can be anything but it's just the one that you wear to bed I think it is that sort of like soothing association that helps me get sleep brilliant that's going to be my next mission I need to find my bedroom perfume (laughs) (laughs) outside of science and beauty do you have any what's something that someone might not know about you or do you have a passion outside of those those areas that you really love like what's on your ideal Sunday what are you what would you be doing um so outside of um beauty and science I actually do um I've been doing pole classes about almost 10 years now wow you must have incredible strength I do but at the same time I also have a really terrible diet (laughs) um, I I kind of have a bit more weight to throw around than I used to Um, but yeah so I do about four hours of pole classes a week I've done a few competitions like a few low-level competitions Um, but yeah it's been a really fantastic um, part of my life so I think when I first um, started looking at pole I was like oh it's like it's so slutty it's so unfeminist and stuff like that but then um once I got into it it's an incredibly feminist movement I think yeah it really got me out of the whole like when I was in high school I had really low self-esteem I hated my body I wasn't quite like I was it wasn't like a proper eating disorder but I used to have really disordered eating yeah so I would just go on crash diets yo-yo diets um and my body just like isn't built for being skinny um it's actually built for like being super muscly. And so doing pole really got me out of that whole mindset of appearances. So I remember the first time I walked into a pole studio, which was covered in mirrors, I couldn't look at myself in the mirror. And Mm. after I think two classes, I was looking at myself in the mirror. I was like, wow, my body is capable of doing things. I can find this attractive, Um, which was a really big thing for me. And I think it's just, yeah, it's just fantastic for self-esteem. It's so supportive. Everyone is just cheering everyone on. And, like, the whole sexual aspect just really isn't really really there most of the time. So I think, yeah, pole's been so good for my self-esteem. It's just really hard to be that critical of your body when you're, like, throwing yourself upside down (laughs) and holding on with one hand and stuff like that. Yeah, you don't have time to think about those things that normally wears down. That's that's so incredible and so important and powerful to find that thing that makes you feel that way yeah and it's yeah it's just such a supportive environment as well like um just, it's just women cheering each other on doing amazing things um making beautiful shapes with their bodies and um just having lots of fun just spinning around incredible i love that now we've reached the end of all your products so i just want to ask you the final question which is if you could pick just one of your products to take with you to beauty island and i'm going to give you lots of sunscreen and everything like that so i'm not going to leave you to burn on the island so it can be it can be yeah whichever product you like which which one would you pick to take with you oh that's such a mean question i knew it was coming <laughs> up 
<laughs> and I'm still not prepared for it. Um, oh man, I think I think just for the sake of science, I would have to say the Treasure Non Cream. It just fixes everything, like anti aging, um, acne. I feel like it could, like whatever skin problem I have, if I throw enough Treasure Non at it, it will probably fix itself. <laughs> Excellent choice. So whenever you're rescued from Beauty Island in however many years, you'll have flawless skin forever. It'll be amazing despite all the sun. (laughs) Incredible. And Michelle, it's been so lovely to speak to you. I imagine that you get a lot of feedback about what you do, but just wanted to say that I am, you know, I was never particularly good at at maths or science. So it wasn't something that particularly got me engaged, but beauty is always my passion. So seeing what you do, intertwining the two, you realise, you know, how well it goes without saying that science affects all areas of our lives but how many different ways you can tap into that interest through through beauty or whatever so i just think it's so important and interesting what you do so thank you so much for oh that's for so nice to hear helping um, demystify thank you so much it. for having me i really enjoyed chatting with you no thank you me too um so yeah thank you so much Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Beauty Island with Michelle. Isn't she brilliant? You can find all the links of where to find her blog, ebooks, Instagram and YouTube channel in the show notes, along with all the products we spoke about today. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to me if you could subscribe, rate and write a written review about your thoughts. Beauty Island is a very small independent podcast and those things really help other people find it. Even better, recommend to a friend or a colleague or even the stranger you're sat next to on the train right now. It's totally free to subscribe and listen. As always, I love your feedback. You can find me on Instagram at Beauty Island Podcasts and I love it when you tag me in your stories when you're listening. We've got listeners all over the world in the UK, America, United Arab Emirates, Sweden, France, so I'd love to see where you're listening from. I've also got a beauty newsletter called It's a Beauty, which comes out weekly, packed with no BS beauty reviews, tips, and maybe even some behind-the-scenes action from the podcast. I'll pop the link to sign up for that in the show notes if you're interested. That's it from me this episode. Thank you again, and until next time, bye-bye.